everybody, and welcome to the first edition of the Botafogo Star podcast here on the World Football Index. Uh, on this show, we will be recapping the 2017 year in Brazil, uh, specifically in the Brasileirão, as well as maybe looking a bit forward to 2018. I'm your host, Austin Miller, here in Chicago in the United States. Very pleased to be joined on this podcast by Tim Stillman, a long-suffering Atletico Mineiro fan in <laughs> London. Tim, how are you? Very happy to have you yeah. on. All good. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, and you and Marshall down in Sao Paulo, uh, a fellow Palmeirense, which obviously I am certainly pleased with. You and how you been? Good evening, gents. Yeah, yeah, not bad. It's been an interesting year of football. Looking forward to going over it with you guys. Yeah, you, I, I think you are right, you and it was a very interesting year in the Brazilian down, which which is always you know so equal and and really can be difficult to peg. Um, and, and for the first time since I've followed it, there was a champion that was able to, to really run away with it in Corinthians, who were unbeaten for a large part of the year to start it. They went on a really long unbeaten streak and then were kind of able to just coast to the end of the end of the year uh, on how well they had done to start it. So you and I'll start with you. There wasn't really a title race in the Brasilia down this year, and, and that was a bit disappointing. But that's just kind of the way that Corinthians were this year. They were very, very consistent, which doesn't always happen in Brazil. Yeah, I mean, in the last, maybe in the last decade, or perhaps since the Brazilian league has moved to this 38-game season, home and away, no uh, kind of knockout rounds at the end to decide the champion, since they've been working with that format, there have been a couple of years where teams have been able to run away with it and we haven't had much of a title race but generally you've always got something um, near the end of the season but what we've never seen is just how dominant Corinthians were this season in the first half of the year that was it, it was quite spectacular as to they were just extremely well organized uh, well drilled and no one else could really match them in terms of this kind of winning spirit that they had. And they just kept going, kept winning, kept grinding at these results. And then, yeah, as you say, they were just able to basically, without trying to, uh, still giving merit to their their championship, they did kind of stumble over the line in the end uh, with all of their main rivals, kind of your teams sitting down between second and third, fourth, sixth, constantly just slipping up whenever according to those drop points. And so it seemed like there just was no credible challenger this year. And Quarantons were the only team who actually had their house in order in terms of the way they were playing on the pitch. And yeah, you've got to give them credit. They weren't exactly the most spectacular champions we've had in the last maybe 10 years. In fact, they were quite boring at times. But um, yeah, they certainly know how to, how to grind out the results. And, you know, all credit to them. Tim, it's, it's kind of tough to put this Corinthians team in context because, you know, they only picked up 72 points this year. 121, mm-hmm. drew nine, lost eight. Joe uh, tied for the leading goal scorer in Brazil with 18 goals. But there wasn't really that, I don't know, that overly impressive flair about them, as you said. No. They, were, they were very composed. They were very organized, very collected. And so it's hard to kind of gauge just how good this team was because, it felt like they went on that run and, and their title rivals kind of gave up in some sense for other focuses and started dropping points left and right. And that allowed Corinthians to, to just put it. And it's hard because you don't want to take away from how impressive they were at that first half. Mm. But yet I'm kind of left with this feeling of, yeah, they won the title, but 
it's kind of a forgettable title, if you will, because they weren't that impressive in doing it. No, and I think um, around about the kind of the end of October or something, there was there was a table that was going round about. I think it must have been about tw- after twenty eight games, and after the first fourteen games, you know, Corinthians obviously running away with it, and then someone made a table of like games fifteen to twenty eight, and Corinthians were about seventeenth or something. Like they had a they had a, a bit of a kind of uh, well more than a bit they they I think they started to fall asleep really. Um, which which isn't a surprise because I think honestly the most realistic challenges to them would have been Grêmio, but uh, Grêmio you know all but gave up on the Brasileirão uh, very very early on. I think that the big pl- the big tick in um, the kind of Corinthians box here and and the uh, Corinthians fan might point out is that we did actually very very briefly look like we'd get a title race where. Uh, you know, Corinthians had like a surprise result. Uh, did they lose at home to Ponte Preta or something? And and Palmeiras had Cruzeiro on the Monday evening game. And if Palmeiras had won, it would have got into three within three points. And then Palmeiras and Corinthians played each other. And Palmeiras drew that game, but still with five points and you're playing this team that's kind of crept up on you. It would have been very, very easy for Corinthians to get an attack of the nerves there um, and let that get to them. And, uh, and they didn't, and they they kind of they beat Palmeiras, and that was that. So I think you, you could say in their favour that at the very point it looked like there might be a title race, they completely kicked up a gear again and just ran away with it. And it would have been interesting to see how they'd how they'd have done with a bit more competition. But I mean, I agree with you. When you look through the squad, you know, uh, Joe has had has had a fantastic season, but there's not a lot of creativity in there you know there's Jadson you know his career is really winding down now uh, Giovanni Augusto who um, I used to watch a lot for Atletico is an incredibly frustrating inconsistent player and they've got you know a lot of a lot of good players but not really anyone you'd look at and think oh yeah you know there's there's going to be teams looking at uh, looking at these players but I think what they've got is they've got quite a mature team um, they've got a lot of players in that kind of 27 to 30 years old uh, kind of bracket and I, I think that that kind of experience as well got them over the line so you're you're right they weren't spectacular they didn't have to be um, but the thing I'd say in their favour is the second the pressure came on they dealt with it very very impressively. And you and I think maybe outside of Joe the 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 breakout players, if you will, the impressive players for Corinthians this year, you know, Guillermo Arana was young in defense, but the rest of that defense, Pablo, a 26-year-old center back, Balbuena, also a 26-year-old center back, Fagner at right back, 28, and then Casio in goal. Those were the players who kind of won this title for Corinthians. They only conceded 30 goals all year. That was the best in the Brasile down. Their defense was just solid every single time they needed it to be. It felt like that defense came up with a big performance. Yeah, and there was a long period this season where that defensive five, so yeah, as you say, Casio, Fagner, Pablo Babuena, and Arana, when they started for Corinthians, this ran up until maybe about, I think it was about like the 24th round, that defensive five didn't concede one goal in the league. It was incredible uh, how long that unit um, remained without conceding any goals whatsoever. And the fact that they weren't, they didn't play that many games together because there was a lot of injuries to particularly Arana. He had a, a, a few spells out. Um, but yeah, that defence was really quite incredible. Very, as we've been saying, in every time we're talking about Corinthians, just extremely well organised and incredibly difficult to break down. 
even against some of your more adept attacking teams. And we actually saw that when they did start to stumble a little bit, the worst results that they got were against sides who were either in the relegation zone or just above the relegation zone. Because for most of the season, Corinthians, the way that they were playing their games was that they were essentially giving possession to their opponents, just sitting deep and letting their opponents have the ball. And they were able to just pick people off on counterattacks because they do have a couple of quick, uh, quick attackers like uh, Angel Romero, who incredibly, if, if Angel Romero is one of your most consistent performers in your team, I mean, that tells you a bit about the quality of the team. And obviously, Joe, who was incredible at kind of bringing in these quick players just playing behind him. And so that, that system worked really well for them against stronger teams. But against weaker teams, when they were forced to have the ball, that's where you saw maybe this Corinthians side kind of coming apart a little bit. They had to step up a little bit higher. They had to, the onus was on them to create, and it was easier for them to be picked off on the break. Yeah, so that's the kind of style, I think, of this league this year, is that a lot of the teams who had success copied that style of giving your opponents possession, essentially. That's what we saw with quite a lot of teams. And Tim, finally, to kind of close this out on Corinthians, I think a man that we haven't mentioned yet that deserves a lot of credit is, is Fabio Carilli, their manager, uh, who stepped in at the end of last year. And then while Corinthians were kind of looking to figure out, okay, who are we going to get to replace him after Cheech had, had stepped away to go be with the Brazilian national team, Carilli did so well with the job that they said, all right, we're going to let him start 2017. And then he was the manager all throughout 2017. And he deserves a lot of credit for organizing this squad and Corinthians to their credit deserve that credit because they stuck with him they stuck with a, a yeah. guy who was who was less heralded and you don't see that very often in Brazil no exactly you you almost I mean the last time Cheech left I think they went did they go for Mano Menezes and uh you know that's yes. the archetypal uh that that's the kind of thing you expect from a big Brazilian club to go for for someone like that um yeah won't elaborate on what I mean there um but but yeah, exactly, and actually, one of the one of the really uh, kind of the the big credit you can give him as well is this isn't exactly Cheech's team that he took on. Um, you know that that kind of really really that kind of very dominant team in 2015. You know most of it's not there anymore. You know Jadson was kind of was brought back, but and you know you've got Cassio in goal who and and actually he lost a bit of form before this season, and he's he's really kind of come back into it, but. It, it's it's not entirely moulded in Cheech's image. Um, I think I think the team setup is fairly similar in that it's it's quite organised, it's fairly cautious and disciplined, um, but not like absolutely. It's it's not. This isn't just um, let's just keep doing what Cheech uh, what Cheech did, um, and, and particularly with the playing personnel. And and I think where he really deserves credit is where. He's gotten the best out of some of these players. You know, you mentioned uh, Pablo Homero, but you know players like Joe, players like you know I mentioned Cassio had had really lost some form last year, um, and he seems to have to have really brought something back um, from from those kind of very kind of wayward, inconsistent players. Um, and he seems to have got a, a real belief in that team, and and to do it so quickly because. You know, as we alluded to, they started the season so, so quickly, which has basically given them the title as well. Um, you know, they obviously saw something um, quite quickly. Um, and, and you know, yeah, 
uh, absolutely full credit to him. He's he's made like the odd tweak here and there, and he's he's really got the absolute best out of this team. Because when you look at the squad, um, it's not it's not a team you'd look at and say, oh yeah, that's the team that's going to win the league by nine or ten points at all. Um, I think there are there are more talented squads in the Brazil are out, but he, he's the one who's really um, who's really got them working as a unit. And you know they they have had injuries as well. It's it's not been the same eleven all season. They've had, they've had some interruptions, which which he's also coped with. Yeah, and and like you said, uh, Corinthians were pretty universally picked to be you know upper mid table this year. Seventh, eighth is kind of where people expect them to be. They got out to that start and, and really never looked back. Uh, Tim, their biggest challenger, you kind of alluded to it earlier, probably would have been Gremio, at least on talent. Mm. Uh, that's the side that won the Copa Libertadores. They are heading uh, to the UAE to play in the Club World Cup now. But Gremio pretty much put all of their eggs in that Libertadores basket, and they mm. did it quite soon on in the year. Uh, Corinthians and Gremio played early on in, in June in Porto Alegre. Corinthians went into the Arena do Gremio won that match, and from that point, Gremio really couldn't catch them back. Seeming every single time Corinthians dropped points, either the Gremio starters or, as was often the case, the Gremio reserves would go out and drop points. And, and by the end of the year, Gremio had, had pretty much given up on the Brasile down to go all in on the Copa Libertadores. And that's kind of always going to be an issue for these Brazilian squads is the fixtures come so fast and furious that you generally have to give something up. What did you think of the decision of Renato Portolupi and, and Gremio to kind of say, all right, we're not going to chase this Brasile down. We're going to go after the Libertadores. It paid off for them, but that's yeah. not necessarily always the case. No, no, it paid off in the end. I, I think what was interesting about it is, you know, this is the first time that the Libertadores has gone, um, you know, to the end of the year. Um, usually you get this because it's all finished by the middle of the year, so by, by July. So if you don't win it or you get knocked out in the semifinals or something, you've got time to recoup. Um, probably not enough to win a title, for example, but you can go back in on the Copa del Brasil or just try and finish in and, and qualify for the Libertadores again, um, which is now actually easier than ever to do. But um, yeah, it was a really interesting decision. I I, I think they could have challenged uh, for the Brazil Aral had had they really wanted to. And I'm I must admit, I did actually. I always saw them going quite far in the Libertadores, so I don't think it was you know a really crazy gamble. I always saw them getting to you know at least the quarterfinal and probably the semifinal. And and then when it got to the last four, I I did think that they were probably the strongest team and that they'd win it. But that, that's because they've got a really good squad and they managed to hang on to a player like Luan, um, you know, Wallace in midfield as well. And, you know, we all know that Artur had had a real breakout season and they've, they've got some serious talent. You look through that squad and, and for me, that's that's better than the Corinthians squad. Um, but it was a really interesting decision because most teams in Brazil have historically made that decision to kind of go for one or the other. Um, but I wondered if if the changes to the Libertadores would would perhaps change that dynamic this year, whether clubs would be more cautious about throwing their lot in with something that finishes right at the end of the season. And it paid off for Gremio, but um, yeah, that's that's not to say it would pay off for for everyone. Um, so I, I thought it was really interesting. I was a little bit surprised um, to be honest, but like you say, they they won it. So um, yeah, it's 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 proved right in the end, but. I, I think they I still think that they could have really given this Corinthian side a, a run for their money. Yeah, they, they certainly are one of 
the most talented teams in Brazil. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, like you said, the fact that Luan is is still playing for them. He's he's a player that when he does move to Europe is is the type of guy that can go right into one of the biggest squads in, in Europe and, and certainly make a difference. Uh, the two defenders, as anybody who's listened to our Copa Libertadores podcast here on the World Football Index Network knows, huge fan. I'm a huge fan of both Pedro Jeromel and Walter Kahneman. They're two starting center backs. We're both really impressive all throughout this year. But you and Gremio, you know, they didn't put up that title challenge, but they won the Libertadores in the end. So uh, their supporters are probably going to be pleased with that. I don't think they'll care too much about not making a run in the Brasile down. Oh, of course. Uh, the Libertadores to any Brazilian fan is way more important than the National League. Um, so for them to be able to win it, that justifies whatever sacrifices they had to make. And yeah, it's interesting because as you're talking about, as Tim just mentioned, there have been a lot of teams who have kind of made this decision in the past to to basically give up on the league and focus on the Libertadores or sometimes even the Cup, something like that. And interestingly enough, Gremio's rivals, Internacional, they did this a couple of years ago um, when they went fairly deep in the Copa Libertadores and they invested everything in winning that tournament, completely giving up on the league. Uh, they ended up getting eliminated in the semi-finals and that kind of started a bit of a slump at that club, which, as we know, ended up with them being relegated last year. So it is a risky one. I think with Gremio, you have to give a lot of credit to Renato Gaúcho. Uh, I've I've been critical of him before. I mean, he's not he's not my favorite manager. I I, I think in terms of someone to actually coach a team uh, on the pitch in terms of like the tactical uh, strategical side of the game, I don't think he's he's among the best in Brazil, but he is an incredible motivator because all of that all of that squad, that Grêmio squad because you've got a few young guys in there Everyone looks up to Hinato Gaúcho because he's he's an idol at Grêmio and he's got this this real swagger about him. He's extremely confident, extremely confident. And he's able to pass this on to his players. And you see that when you have like a cup competition like the Libertadores, when you have these head-to-head matches, home and away, all that sort of thing, that confidence that he's able to put into the team makes a huge difference and yeah he's never been a manager who's been suited to like a 38 game season like a league and uh, that's not really his style his style is more about this uh, all or nothing confrontations where he can just get the players as fired up as he possibly can and i mean he's great value as well for us who watch the game because uh, he comes out with some fantastic lines every now and again, and as I say, his his, his self confidence, his ego, is, is is bigger than the Arena do Grêmio. I think um, it's certainly a very good character to have in the game, and he's lucky that he came into a side which was built over a couple of years by Jorge Machado and that excellent coaching team that he had behind him. Wasn't just Jorge Machado. I mean, all the all the kind of the performance analysis group and all that sort of thing. They did an incredible job over those couple of years in Grêmio, and they managed to create this the basis for this side. That after Roger left, Renato was able to come in, keep things the same in terms of their like their training routines, all that sort of stuff, and just get them as fired up as possible, which is what they needed at the time. And yeah. I, I, 
I wasn't sure Gremio had what it took to, to go all the way in the Libertadores. I wasn't sure that Renato had uh, what it took to go all the way as a manager in the Libertadores, but he's, he's proved me wrong. And yeah, he, he deserves an incredible amount of credit for this, for this, for this trophy. And you talk about that motivation. I think that was very evident in both the semifinals and the final for Gremio. Um, a lot of times in, in these big continental finals in, in South America, you'll see teams play passively and they'll sit back and they're playing not to make a mistake. And when Gremio went away to play Barcelona in Guayaquil, they weren't that. They were 3-0 winners. They beat Barcelona at Barcelona, a place that two Brazilian teams, Palmeiras and Santos, both struggled at and both went out because of their results that they couldn't get away from home. Gremio went and did that. And then against Lanús in, in the second leg of, of that Libertadores final, after a pretty testy first leg at home, you know, Gremio were, again, just overly impressive with the way that they attacked a match and the confidence with which they played. And as you said, um, a lot of that can certainly be credited to Renato Gaúcho. You and I'll stick with you as we talk quickly here about the uh, runners-up in Brazil, which is, of course, uh, Palmeiras, who maybe didn't have a, a great year, uh, didn't win a title at all, no State League, no Copa do Brasil, obviously no Libertadores, no Brasile down, but still managed to finish second despite losing 13 times in the league this year. What did you make of this year for Palmeiras? I think it, it, it was disappointing in a sense for me, but also uh, you know a bit of context here that uh, Palmeiras were playing in the second division just a few years ago, and here they are with a runner-up finish in the Brasile down being kind of seen as, as a letdown. So maybe it's it's not all as bad as it would have appeared? Yeah, well, I mean, on the whole, when you put it that way, uh, it, it can't be, it can't be uh, regarded as a huge disappointment. Because, yeah, until a couple of years ago, I was celebrating as soon as Palmeiras got 40 points in the league, you know, so it meant that there was no chance of us being relegated. And so now to actually be right up there at the top and fighting for the title and expecting to win the title, is it's a much nicer state of affairs to be in than not actually having any realistic hopes of winning titles. But no, I, I do think this was a very disappointing year for Palmeiras because of the investment that was put into the club, uh, because of the strength of the squad as well. And just the way that things were handled with the selection of managers we've had in the same year and... Really, I think the fact that they finished second is not so much a testament to their performances, but more of a kind of critique of the league as a whole. And because if you have a team who have gone through, they basically tried to plan things under Eduardo Bautista. They sacked him. They brought in Coca. They tried to plan things again under un, under Coca. They've sacked him, and they brought in someone else. You know, for to have a, a team like that with three different managers throughout the year still finishing second is yeah it's 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 not it's not a testament to Palmeiras' year it's it's more about how weak the league has been this year unfortunately yeah i mean but Palmeiras yeah. got beat 3-0 on the final day of the year it still limped to second place because Gremio played the reserves of their reserves in a loss and Santos couldn't beat a relegated team in Avaí. So yeah, like you said to that point, you know, Palmeiras were kind of second by default because nobody else could be at the end of the year. Yeah, and it was one of those years which it just felt that we had about maybe three or four different moments where the fans just decided like, ah, okay, well, 2017's, 2017 is over now. Uh, our season's over. 
And then a couple of weeks later, the team would just start to improve a little bit. You know, Corinthians slipped up and then it looked like, oh, maybe there might be a title race on here. And then it's like, ah, oh, no, actually, 2017 is over. It's been over for quite a while. And yeah, it just it ended on a really depressing note. I think it was a, a disappointing season. Some good performances in there. But I think that now they've, they've, they've got Hoja Machado for next year, which is a very interesting appointment, in my opinion. And if he's given time and if he's allowed to really get in there and, 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 and get his claws into that squad and mould them in his own style, I think Palmeiras could do very well next season um, with a few signings that are coming in as well. But this year, considering how well Palmeiras did last year in 2016 and the investment that was made, players like uh, Borja, Geha, Felipe Melo, all this lot, Coming into the squad, you would have expected them to at least maintain their level, if not improve. Um, so it, it is a disappointment, a huge disappointment, actually. Yeah, I, I would second you on that for sure. Um, but I'm pretty optimistic heading towards 2018. And granted, I'm always optimistic with this where this squad is concerned. Uh, but I like I like the moves that have been made. I think you know, obviously. The biggest if in Brazilian football is always will a manager get time? But yeah, like you said, if Jorge Machado gets that, if he can kind of manufacture results in the Libertadores early on, then he'll definitely get that time because I don't know that Palmeiras fans are, are, are too concerned with the state league. You know, they'll get to the knockout round and see what happens. Um, so yeah, it, it should definitely be be an interesting 2018. And, and you know, there's a lot of talent in this squad. Uh, still among one of the most talented sides in Brazil. Um, there's no doubt about that. Tim, as far as Atlético Mineiro are concerned, um, your club, I won't make you dwell on them too long. Um, same old, same old in, in 2017 for them? Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was an interesting year. And by an interesting year, I mean actually really quite dull. Um, for, the, for really the, the first time in a few years, there's been a few exciting seasons for Atlético recently. They've either challenged for the league or, you know, the, uh, the Copa do Brasil or winning the Libertadores and... You know, this this was the first time in a while that that they were just completely average, nothing to write home about. Out early in the Libertadores, out early in the Copa do Brasil, even losing the Premier League final, which you know is little more than a trinket, but they couldn't even win that. And um, it was it was doomed from the start, really. I think anyone with a modicum of football analysis um, intelligence would have looked at that squad and just said it's horribly horribly unbalanced you know they already we already had like Robinho and Casares and Otero who are all number 10s and then for some reason we brought in Maloney and Valdivia as well and I, I you know Valdivia is such a disappointment for me because I loved him at Inter um, I, you know, I, I appreciate he's had he had pretty big injury, and I wondered how he'd come back from that. He hasn't looked a shadow of himself because he's playing in this horribly unbalanced team that's full of number tens, and then all of its kind of defensive midfielders, as far as I'm concerned, belong in Serie B. Um, there's, you know, Leandro Donizetti came came to the, you know, really came to the end of his time, and it was time for him to go at the end of last season, but he wasn't replaced properly. And, you know, a lot of very, very, I'm being kind if I call them average players coming in there. You know, Leonardo Silva is really, really creaking now. And uh, there's really no one at centre-half, 
you know, who who can hold a candle to him, really. So it's a really, really unbalanced, top-heavy squad. And then on top of all these number 10s, we've got, you know, two strikers like Fredge and Rafael Mora, who are both like target men who, you know, really thrive on kind of crosses and delivery from out wide. And, and then we've got all these like number 10s floating around behind them who really want a striker to run onto through balls. And it's just an awfully constructed squad. And uh, I, I got into many arguments on, on Twitter with Atletico fans because, like, you know, I, I like Roger Mercado. I, I think he's a really, really good coach. Um, I really liked what he did at Gremio. And um, he didn't get a fair crack of the whip. And, you know, Atletico just went through this cycle that all Brazilian teams seem to go through where they just keep sacking managers. And, you know, I kept making the point to people, uh, to other Atletico fans on Twitter. I was like, the, the coach isn't really the problem here. Whoever inherits this squad is going to run into exactly the same problem, which is the personnel. It's just really, really unbalanced. And and that really showed because, um, you know, the, the results were erratic, really. You just really didn't know what you were going to get in any one game. And um, the, the fact that, as we're speaking, we still have a, a, an outside, well, not even an outside chance, we have a decent chance of being in the Libertadores next year is is amazing, really, because there were times where I was thinking a bit more about not getting dragged into the relegation dogfight. For me, the the low point for Gallo this year was was that Libertadores elimination against Jorge yeah. Wilstermann. Not that they went out at that stage, but just the way that they went out. They mm. looked just out of ideas for the entire 180 minutes. It was. Well, let's just send it wide, throw it in there, and maybe Fred, you'll get ahead to it. And, he yeah. and they went out to one of the worst teams in the Libertadores in Wilsterman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually, it, it became like a bit of a meme, uh, kind of following the games on social media. The amount of crosses that were going in, not just in those games, but in every game. I mean, it really smacked of a team that just didn't have any ideas. Um, and yeah, that, that, that Wilsterman, like, you know, Everyone watched the first leg and, you know, they, they play at altitude in Bolivia and everyone knows it's difficult to go there and we lose 1-0 and you think, well, OK, that's, you know, that that's not a great result. But it's not the end of the world. We've got 90 minutes, you know, back at the Independencia, which, you know, before this season, for the last four or five years or so, you know, the Independencia has been a proper, proper fortress for Atletico. But this year... Um, that's that's really gone out the window. Our, our home form's not not been good at all, and you know, kind of, you wanted to stir up those old memories of you know the the year that Atletico, I'll whisper it quietly, kind of lucked their way to the Libertadores in 2013, where they fell into this pattern of losing the away leg and then taking teams back to the Independencia and, and beating them, and and it was a really really limp elimination in the end. And then you look at what happened to Wilstermann in the in the next round as well, and and you just think, you know, what what a, you know what a lost opportunity really, because I d- I don't think we were ever in a position to win it, but you know to go out like that was hugely disappointing. To a side that then lost eight nil in their away leg yeah, in the quarter exactly to River Plate. Um, you and I'll come to you for a quick word on Flamengo this year. Um, a bit of turmoil, uh, seemingly as always the case for Flamengo. 
Uh, Zay Hicardo got himself sacked. They brought in Reynaldo Rueda, uh, the man who won the Libertadores with Atletico Nacional. They are currently in the Copa Sulamericana final. That's their chance at a major trophy this year. But regardless of result there, they have qualified for the Libertadores group stage next year, which is at least some sort of an achievement for them. What did you make of Flamengo in 2017? Um, well, Flamengo, I always find it really entertaining to just watch what's going on at Flamengo because I, I think their fans are possibly the best value out of any group of fans uh, in Brazil because of just how how kind of bipolar they might be or how demanding they are and it's it, it's really quite incredible and also quite they're also not afraid to kind of laugh at their own disgrace as well which is quite which is quite uh, good to read about but yeah they have it's been, a, it's been a strange one for Flamengo because they definitely had flashes of some really good football at parts of the year. Um, when you have Diego and Everton Ribeiro in the same side with Paulo Guerrero up front, you know, you've got, you've got all sorts of great options there. Certainly, if making the Copa Sulamericana final is a considerable achievement, in my opinion. I mean, a trophy is a trophy, never mind being the second most important continental trophy in the in South America. So if they could win that, I think that would be excellent for the fans. And they've got this group stage place for next season. Now I think the question surrounds who is going to replace Paulo Guerrero, who has just been hit with a year's ban from the game um, for, for doping, which... I find absolutely tragic. Uh, I'm a big fan of Paulo Guerrero as a footballer um, and as a person as well. He can be a bit can be a bit annoying sometimes when your team's playing against them. But um, I'm a big fan of his, and I'm very disappointed to hear that he's not going to be playing for the next year. So now they've got to look around, maybe look to bring someone in, maybe look to promote from within. Felipe Vizel has had a decent end to the season scoring some really quite impressive goals uh, he's, he's certainly got a lot of talent there if he can just if he can just refine that a bit he could become quite an interesting forward for them and yeah Reginaldo Hueda I've always been a fan of his uh, I think he's a quite a pragmatic coach and has had some success in the past and like we've been talking recently just in this podcast about managers getting time you know that ever uh, the important question for anyone in Brazil is like, oh is the manager going to get time and the truth is is that in Brazil just as a rule managers don't get time it's, it's not a question of whether they'll get time it is no you don't have time it has to be result, results based and if I think if Flamengo hadn't made the final of the Sudamericana I think Reginaldo uh, Hueda would probably be in trouble with his job but if they can get this get this trophy, kind of placate the fans a little bit, um, that would end the year on a positive note, uh, even though a lot of Flamengo fans will be will still be complaining quite a bit, especially with the way they lost the Copa do Brasil final as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're doing next year, as long as Rueda remains in charge. As I said earlier, I, I do quite like him as a manager. And if they can replace Guerrero, they should still be a decent side next year. Interested to see how they'll do in the Libertadores. 
Yeah, the talent is is obviously there, like you said. When when you look at the names in that Flamengo squad, that there's certainly no question about how how much talent they have. Uh, Tim, before we get to the relegation battle in a second, any other storylines that, that you want to touch on here? Um, Cruzeiro, Copa do Brasil champions, uh, a very good squad for them. Vasco da Gama managed to not only not get relegated, but somehow qualify <clears throat> for the Libertadores despite a, a goal differential of negative of minus seven. Still finished seventh in the league because, sure. Uh, any other storylines yeah. that, that you want to kind of touch on? I, I think the uh, the only one, I, I mean, I, I thought overall this was, entertainment-wise, a, a pretty disappointing uh, season overall. And to be honest, probably in about July or August, I was thinking the only thing that's really going to hook me here is is this, are Sao Paulo going to be in the relegation fight? Which which in the end didn't quite happen, I, I happen to think, unfortunately. Uh, sorry to any of our listeners that have a soft spot for Sao Paulo. But, you know, they, they, they threatened to be quite interesting for a while with the whole uh, thing around Rogerio Ceni and... He probably got more time than, well, he certainly got more time than any other manager would have got in, in that scenario because of who he is. And, uh, you know, they, they they went quite big on their squad as well. And they signed, you know, Lucas Prato from, from Atletico and and that didn't really work. And, you know, they've, they've, they've been a, a bit of a poor team for quite a while, really, and they look quite down on their luck, but... Um, I, I was really, really hoping that that they'd do, you know, perhaps what Inter did last season and get dragged in. But, but then, you know, towards the end, kind of Fluminense as well flirted with it a little bit. But yeah, it's 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 a really bizarre season now. Now you've got this kind of G six, which has extended to a G eight, which might go to a G nine. It's 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 so weird that basically we could end up with a scenario where. You know, everybody except Vittoria either gets relegated or qualifies for a con- continental competition. It's it's absolutely absurd. Um, I think probably um, the way Botafogo let uh, Libertadores spot slip as well is, you know, they're, they're not the most interesting team. They've been quite solid and unspectacular, but, you know, they, they can give anyone a game on their day. And they were in that kind of area of the league for a long, long time. And they kind of let that slip in the last couple of games. And I, I suppose the story, really, that probably possibly the headline of the season was uh, Chapecoense in the final seconds of the season um, getting into the Libertadores World well, Qualifier at this stage. Which, um, considering what they've been through, you know, that's an absolutely amazing achievement. And and to emphasise um, how how kind of strange the league is at the moment. Only three games ago, they were kind of really celebrating the fact that they'd escaped relegation and then kind of two to three games later, suddenly they've qualified for the Libertadores. But um, that's obviously that's a huge credit to them. And, and I think everyone in Brazil was was really quite happy about that, um, even if, you know, that there's still a chance that, that knocks my own team, Atletico, out of the Libertadores running. But if, if that's, you know, I, I think I'd I think I'd let that slide on this occasion. So I think Chapecoense ha- have to be like the real kind of, the, the real story of the season. Yeah, for sure. They, as, as you said, you know, a, a couple weeks ago it was they've survived relegation, which was a massive achievement on their own. And then, as is so often the case in Brazil, you go on a little bit of a run. They went unbeaten in their last five to close the year with four wins. Next thing you know, you're in the Libertadores spots. And, 
you and I'll give you the opportunity here to, to talk a little bit about Chapecoense and just what they were able to do this year because it, it was so incredible. You know, they were really a, a poor managerial decision away from advancing in the Libertadores when, when they decided to field a player who was suspended with the knowledge that he was suspended and that docked them the points that could have gotten them out of their Libertadores group. And now here they are one year on, on fr from this tragedy and they've gotten themselves back in the Libertadores. It, it's, it's massively, massively impressive. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful story um, to see them qualify for the Libertadores just one year after the that plane crash and yeah i mean actually we we should really give a shout out to Gilles O'Kleiner, the manager who came in who has he's had a, a fairly middling career in brazil he's managed a couple of big sides well he managed palmeiras famously in the second division but after he took over shabby were unbeaten throughout his reign uh throughout his the 10 matches of 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 him being in charge of shabby and it's really quite incredible their, their run at the end of the season and it was because it, it must have been a very emotionally taxing season for these players not only because I mean right at the start of the year this is a group who it's made up of kind of loanees who've come in from other clubs it's made up of some former Chapecoense players who yeah they maybe know each other a bit but it's a brand new squad they don't know anyone and they don't know how they're going to play together and they've got this massive kind of emotional burden sitting on them and that they are essentially trying to get some sort of success after the club lost 19 of their players in a plane crash. You know, so it's, it's, it's an incredible feat. And so they started really well. Uh, they won the state championships. And as you said, they did fairly well in the Libertadores and they could have actually got out of that group. And then I think perhaps the kind of the natural drop in form happened after that it must have been uh, a very tiring half of the season for them I think as I say emotionally and probably physically as well and they got into they got themselves into a bit of trouble it looked like they could actually be relegated and then they made that last managerial switch they brought Joseph Kleina in and the players just kind of rallied around uh, the manager and the club as a whole and they just dug in and came up with a really superb finish to the year. I mean, unbeaten in your last 10, that's, that's, that's quite incredible. And they're rightfully in the Copa Libertadores, I think, for that excellent finish. And it is a testament to that wonderful little town and that wonderful little club. And it's just really nice to see that after... Because a lot of this... During this run-in, and especially when they did get that Libertadores place, everyone was talking about how, yeah, this is like a one year on. Like 12 months ago, we had that, uh, that funeral service in the Arena Conda, which was really, really emotional. Um, and everything surrounding the air disaster was, was, was very tough for everyone involved in Brazilian football. And just to see them manage to come up with such an amazing result just 12 months afterwards is nothing short of incredible yeah really great story and with the group of players too that they did it with you know as you said they didn't spend big they went for guys who were you know experienced and, and kind of these Brazilian journeymen if you will you know Wellington Paulista those type of players that it's it's as you said it's nothing short of incredible and, and full credit to the club. Tim, I'll come to you as, as we move on to the relegation fight, which 
almost made up for the lack of drama we had in the title chase. The The final mm. day in the Brasilia down gave us a whole lot in the relegation fight. Four teams yeah. went in with a chance to try and stay up. Sport, Vitoria, Coritiba, and Avaí. At the very end, it looked as though Vitoria had thrown away their chance to stay up. They gave away a late penalty to their opponent, Flamengo. Flamengo converted, but seemingly at the exact same time, Coritiba gave up an injury time winner to Chapecoense, which... A, sent Chapecoense into the Copa Libertadores playoffs next year, and B, managed to finally, once and for all, relegate this Coritiba side that had been a stain on the league, the most consistent team in Brazil, but that's not a compliment. They'd been consistently 13th for I don't know how long. Uh, finally going down on one goal of goal differential to Vitoria. Vitoria minus eight, Coritiba minus nine. Vitoria, Tim, nearly threw away their chance to stay up, but they just about did it. And that's credit to their manager, yeah. Wagner Mancini, who started the year at Chapecoense and then moved over. Vitoria were yeah. dreadful at home this year, but somehow stayed up on their away form. And Sport Recife, another team that just barely kind of hung on there at the end. It was a wild relegation battle. Finally, the other two teams who went down, Ponche Preta in a bit of controversy on the penultimate day of the year. Uh, they had a match cut short because of some fan troubles. And it's let's go go Anansi, who they were in the Serie A this year. They won away to Corinthians, which was their crowning achievement. Uh, they were relegated pretty much from the start, and, and that's how it went for them. They put up a decent fight. Good yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the thing to really draw out of this is, um, is how good this is for the Northeast region. Uh, you know, Vitoria staying up, Sporch staying up. Bahia were comfortable um, in the end. And because, you know, there's, the, well, I, it's always existed really, but uh, this kind of, um, well, not bias against the Northeast, I suppose, you, I suppose you'd say, because there's, you know, there's far less money in the clubs up there. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it really looked like, you know, we the kind of the Northeast representation was, was completely diminished. And, now all of a sudden, those three clubs have stayed up. Uh, Seattle have come up as well, and 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 I, I think that's really healthy um, for the league. You know, it's 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 easy to underestimate in a country the size of Brazil um, how important it is to have all of the regions. I think represented because you know it's it can be quite a regional country at times, and and you know the the northeast region is is I mean it's such a beautiful part of Brazil anyway, but. You know, I think football means so much up there um, as well, and and it's so great to have to have uh, that many teams up there. But yeah, I mean, the last not even just the last day, really, the the last kind of thirty seconds of the season, just absolutely crazy. That kind of you know, there must have been ten seconds between Flamengo scoring that penalty and Chapecoense scoring against Curitiba, and, and you know how gutting that must be for Curitiba to to think you know to see your rivals concede a 95th minute penalty and then for you to concede a 96 minute winner and you know his sports as well going and, and, and beating Corinthians on the last day and obviously um, it was the best time to play Corinthians because uh, the season was over and it was their reserves and um, but you know a huge effort uh, for them to stay up as well I you know I think Going in, Atletico Goianense were always going to go down. Avaí were always going to struggle. You know, they're they're a yo-yo club at the moment, and they really don't have the resource. And actually, as patronising as this might sound, because they've gone down pretty much on goal difference, um, I think that's actually a really good effort um, from them. I, I think they, I, I thought they'd just get relegated out of sight, to be honest. But 
but I, uh, they're actually one of the one of the few teams I actually seen in person this season. So when I was uh, in Minas in in June, I saw Avi play against Atletico at the Independencia, and and actually early in the season they they played really well away from home against some of the bigger clubs, and you know I, I saw them up close, and they were they were really really well organised, and not just organised, they could play as well. And uh, Atletico were really, really fortunate to win that game, actually. And I was, you know, I went along really thinking that we'd blow them away quite easily. But it was a really, really tough game that we were quite fortunate to win. So, um, you know, I, I think Avai have made the absolute best fist of it that they can. You know, Curitiba, in my opinion, um, they maybe you could say they need this relegation um, to actually like try and do something, as you alluded to. They've just been doing nothing for, for so long now. And, you know, obviously they don't have ambitions to win anything really uh, realistically. But um, I actually think this might be quite good for them, possibly, if, if it if it causes them to kind of regroup and and rethink a little bit. Um, it might not be it. It might, you know, it might send them into a bit of a spiral. But, yeah, I mean, that, that last kind of 30 seconds or so, um, even the, the last 15 minutes or so, you know, Sports taking the lead against Corinthians quite you know, quite deep into the second half and, you know, the, the the kind of the fireworks that happened in that last 45 seconds. And when it all went down, you know, I'm, I'm watching Atletico play against Gremio's reserves and Atletico had a, um, you know, there was a power cut. Um, I appreciate on a, an audio medium, you can't see my fingers doing the kind of uh, the inverted commas there, but had a power cut so the game was delayed um by about 15 minutes or so and I'm kind of watching these goals go in and then all of a sudden Atletico get a last minute winner and it was just it, it was really um probably not a very fitting end to what was quite um quite a pedestrian season um all of that drama and yeah I, I think that the relegation battle was the only thing that was genuinely interesting for the whole season and um, so it probably is quite fitting that that's where all the fireworks happened in in the last couple of minutes of the season. Yeah, and you mentioned Sport and Cotachiba. Those were kind of the two two of the teams there at the end. And Sport, to their credit, won their final three matches and Cotachiba lost mm. their final three matches. Cotachiba got to 43 points and it kind of felt like they're going to do it again. They're just going to get over the line. Marcelo Oliveira is going to get his Cotachiba team to finish you know, 14th, 15th, and they'll run it back again next year. And then they just couldn't find that one more point that they needed in their final three matches and they found themselves going down. You and for you, what, what did you make of these relegated teams? And maybe you can give us a quick word on, on the four teams who are coming up as well. You know, Internacional, after their one-year hiatus down in the Sede Bay, uh, came up fairly easily in the end, despite a couple of slip-ups maybe early in the year. America Minedo replaced Atletico Goianiense as our team who came up, but is probably going to go straight back down. Seara, as, as Tim said, a team from the Northeast that I know, you know, we're all probably really happy to see come up and then Panana who will replace Cotachiba as, as a team from the south of Brazil as, as our fourth team maybe a quick chance to, to give us a quick word on that yeah well yeah so a couple of things on the relegation firstly as Tim mentioned the fact that Sports and Vitoria stay up and we've already got Bahia and Ceará are going to be coming up next year yeah so four teams from the northeast in the Serie A next year which is that's never happened which yeah that's 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 very good and yeah, so Coritiba, again, as you say, Paraná Clube are coming up and replacing them, which is quite hilarious. And I think it's probably worth to 
talk a little bit about Ponte Preta, especially about the game where they were relegated, because I think that is a, is a story worth telling. So essentially, they are playing at home to Vitoria. This is the second last game in the season. Vitoria also in the relegation fight. And Ponte Preta go 2-0 up in the first half. And this is essentially getting three points in that game would put them in a, an excellent position to stay up, especially taking points off Vitoria as well. So they're 2-0 up, they're cruising, the fans are happy, and their centre-back, experienced centre-back, maybe a little bit too experienced for his own good, uh, Rodrigo, he gets involved. Uh, also, I'm, you can't see, but I'm doing those, uh, those air quotes. He gets involved with Vitoria's Colombian uh, forward, Sebastian Trelles, and he does what I believe, I believe in wrestling they call this an oil check. I think that's the that's the term um, that is, is is generally accepted. So he 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 checks Trellis oil once, twice, and perhaps even a third time. And the fourth official spots it and brings the attention to the referee. And Rodrigo of Ponte Preta gets a straight red card. So Ponte Preta two 0 up. They're a man down, and things start to look a little bit dicey. And then the second half. Trellis scores twice, Vittoria get another goal, and Vittoria win the match 3-2. And as you mentioned earlier, the fans uh, rioted a bit, they invaded the pitch, and the game had to be abandoned, I think, with about six or seven minutes to play. So yeah, that's a, that was a, quite, a, quite a day, quite a day. Um, and Rodrigo, one of my, my favourite parts of that actually was when he, Rodrigo is complaining to the referee after being shown his red card and his teammates, obviously just sick of, of all of his tricks over the years, turn on Rodrigo and basically tell him, like, what are you doing? Like, just leave, get off the pitch. We need to, you know, we, we need to hold on to this win. Just please shut up and go away, which I thought was quite funny. Um, and also, it's interesting to note that Ponte Preta, they might actually have to be quite careful now because this happened to their rivals in Campinas, uh, this city just to the north of Sao Paulo, their rivals Guarani, who are a very traditional team in um, Brazilian football. And they, for the longest time, they kind of occupied a position similar to where Ponte Preta, to what Ponte Preta have occupied over the last few years as in being a difficult team to play against in Campinas uh, and generally finishing around the table, getting a few successes, having a few good players. And then when they were relegated, I believe the last time they were relegated was in 2009 or 2010, and it started a momentous slide for them. They only spent one year in the Serie B and then they were relegated again to the Serie C and have since... Really, they've they've never come back to anywhere near the club that they used to be. So Ponte Preto don't have incredibly large revenue streams, so they do need to watch out in the second division with the drastically reduced TV money. So that may be an interesting story to look at for next year. In regards to the teams that are coming up, uh, Inter, obviously they would have expected to win the Serie B, um, but they didn't quite manage that, finishing in second. I didn't get a chance to see that much of them this year, but obviously as a big club, no one expected them to stay more than one year down in Serie B. So we just have to see 
how they react to that. Uh, a lot of big clubs have been relegated in the past and they've come back and some of them have shown a really positive reaction. Some of them really haven't. Um, some of them have, have continued to kind of languish around the, the, the lower half of the table. And America Mineiro finishing top. So I think perhaps if this was probably the only thing that maybe Donald Trump has got right so far, you know, America first. And Paraná Clube, again, haven't seen that much of them, but they were a traditional team um, around the 90s in Brazil. So it's good to see them coming up. And as we mentioned, Seara, very well-supported team from the northeast, from the lovely city of Fortaleza. And it's going to be really interesting to to see those four northeast teams in action next year. I did get a chance to see a, a few of Serra's games this year, and they do look quite interesting. Although I wonder how many of their players are going to stick around for next year. I think there's quite a few loan moves in there. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to next season. It can't really be any 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 uh, any more boring than this season. That's for sure. Um, <clears throat> Tim, I'm conscious Tim, that I'm you have to go. Yeah, 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 sure. I, actually, I, I just wanted to make one really quick sure, point, for sure. um, just with, with regards to some of the teams in the bottom. If you look at the list of top scorers, what's really interesting is that a lot of them come from those clubs at the bottom. Um, it, it does kind of beg the question whether whether that's where some of the bigger clubs might go shopping. You've got like Andre at, at Sports, who you know has had a bit of an up and down career and. Lucha, Ponte Preta, you know, everyone knows about Diego Souza at this point, and he looked like he was going to go to Palmeiras, but that didn't quite happen. But then Trellez, uh, uh, Vitoria, Junior Dutra, Avaí, uh, even Luis Fernando at uh, uh, Atletico Goianense, who were relegated out of sight, you know, he still came up with nine goals, which is, you know, that's, that's more than the likes of Lucas Prato, for example. So, um, there, there's some quite promising forwards potentially in, in the bottom area of that league. And it'll be interesting to see um, where they kind of end up um, next year. And, uh, and that's one of the quite interesting things about the league is that all of those teams at the bottom had players that could score goals. Even Fluminense, who were rotten this season, had uh, Enrique Dorado. Um, so, you, so you've got this kind of imbalance where the, the teams in the kind of top six, none of their players are anywhere to be seen on that top scorers list. But a lot of teams that were in the relegation battle and indeed were relegated are. Yeah, like you say, Tim, there there are, you know, those players who did have those good score guns. And already, you know, Santiago Treyes at, at Vitoria is, is a player that some of the big Sao Paulo clubs have been after. Junior Dutra at Avaí has already moved on to Corinthians. So there certainly are some of those players down in the table that, could be making those moves as, as kind of those consistent goal scorers. Uh, you and this will give us a chance maybe to talk about some of the the highlight players of this Brazil down, um, maybe with with an eye towards some of those young players. Obviously, Luan and Artur at, at Gremio, you know, players that, that we've heard about a lot in the Copa Libertadores. But it, it, again, you can't really state enough how impressive those two have been and really how impressive that, that Gremio side were. Is there anybody else in this Brazil down that, that kind of caught your eye and, and impressed you with maybe an eye Towards, towards a future move to Europe. Um, well, I think most of the most of the, the really impressive players we've already mentioned, I would certainly point out as we talked about that Corinthians backline. Uh, Guilherme Arana, he's already got a, a, a move sorted, I believe, to Sevilla. I mean, don't know if you correct me on that. Yes, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, and obviously Balbuena had a superb year, uh, really, really consistent centre back and. 
he's looking good for the having good chances to get into that Paraguayan national team and get a starting position in there, which I, I can't believe he isn't a regular starter for them. And yeah, Artur and Luan and Gremio, obviously Jeromel, always uh, up there as one of the best centre-backs in the league. And elsewhere, I mean, in terms of like younger talents that would be suited to Europe, I'm not sure we had that many breakouts this year. Uh, at least not as many as we as we usually have in Brazil. Obviously, Vinicius Junior has um, got a lot of headlines. That is already on his way to uh, Real Madrid in a couple of years' time, I believe. But besides that, we haven't had that many of these kind of young stars coming in. Actually, a lot of the players who really did impress were the more experienced players. I mean, Hernandez when he came to São Paulo. He had a. He started well and then kind of dropped off a little bit. But I think his quality and leadership in that team is one of the main reasons that they stayed up in the end, and they stayed up with by a considerable margin as well. It wasn't even a. It wasn't even in doubt by the end, which is quite incredible, I think, uh, considering where São Paulo were like halfway through the year. And obviously the big goal scorers, the, the two tied top goal scorers of uh, Inhiki, Inhiki Dorado and Joe. I mean, who would have thought it? Joe is back again and playing rather well. He does seem to be the, this kind of player who, when he has a good unit around him, when he has a good attacking unit around him, he could be extremely useful. He, his ability to hold up the ball and bring in the attackers around him is probably the best in Brazil. And he has that good eye for goal. Got a bit of luck as well this year. One of his goals he scored with his hand as well. I'm sure you'll remember that. And But yeah, all in all, he's had a superb year. And is, 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 is probably the best player in Brazil this year, incredibly, in the Brazilian league. Yeah, and Hika Dourado is, is an interesting one for me. Because as Tim kind of said, you know, that was a bad Fluminense team. They didn't really do all that much this year. But Hika Dourado is, is a guy that has now proven twice that he can score goals at this level. You know, in 2014, he was on that Palmeiras side that very nearly got relegated. But he scored 16 goals that year. He had 18 yeah. this year for Fluminense. He's a player that, yeah, he's 28. He's not going to move the needle, really. But he's going to come in and, and pretty much whatever side you put him in, he's probably going to find the back the net and there are some teams in brazil that could use a player like that so i think he's definitely a player that fluminense could kind of look to cash in on yeah although perhaps i think he i think he's found his level at fluminense i think if you're looking at maybe the the stronger teams in the league i'm not sure if uh, Henrique dorado has the has the quality required to be their center forward i mean even as an ex-palmeiras player even thinking of him in this palmeiras team at the moment i'm not particularly sure whether he would have scored anywhere near as many goals as he did at Fluminense in this Palmeiras team because I'm, I'm not sure if he if, if he fits in perfectly well there and I've always found him just a, a really frustrating player to watch uh, but he does come up with the goals and yeah I think for a good few years he's going to be able to grab at least 10 goals a season in a kind of mid-table Brazilian side. It just remains to be seen exactly where he's going to be next year, if he's going to remain at Fluminense or if, if, if as you say, they might try and cash in on him. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like you said, um, it's hard to think of 
you know, there are some of those names, but it does kind of feel like there are there are less names this year than than there are usually as far as the young up and coming players. And, and maybe that's because a lot of them have, have moved on or, or, or what have you. But yeah, like you said, outside of Luan and Artur, obviously you have Vinicius Jr. at Flamengo. Felipe Vizeo is, is another young player there. There are those young players, but certainly it doesn't feel like there are as many of those kind of can't miss young players that you know are, are, are just going to be really well or that have already kind of had these links with Europe. Whether or not that can't miss talent is uncertain, but it, it does. I, I agree with you. It does kind of feel like there are there are less of those players. Any idea why that would be? I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. It just kind of feels like that's kind of where the cycle went around to. And two years from now, it'll kind of correct itself and we'll be back to it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, unfortunately, it does seem that the quality of the Brazilian league is is, is has just slowly been decreasing um, over the last perhaps like ten years, except for a few a few years in the middle there where the Brazilian economy was 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 having a bit of a boom and the clubs were able to gather that able to attract huge sponsorships and bring in some 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 really good talents you know like when we had like Neymar and like Ronaldinho in the same league I mean that was that was pretty impressive and you had Daru Konka playing at the top of his game Andre D'Alessandro all of these players were real quality footballers and all playing in Brazil at the time but that was that was just a kind of an exception to the rule I think um, we're probably going to continue to have more or less this kind of level of quality. Hopefully next year, though, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to have a few younger players breaking through next year than we did this year. Um, I would like for the... Well, outside of, as you mentioned, we've been talking a lot about Luan and Artur. I think Luan, is, he's really got to go. He's really got to head off to Europe now um, because he's an incredibly talented player and he needs to... He needs to move on to, to a better league. But I would like to see our tour stick around for a bit if that is possible. If if the Brazilian league would allow him, you know, the um, the conditions that we have here. I would like to see him play for another year because I don't think right now he's ready for Europe. But he's going to be ready very soon. And yeah, hopefully we'll see a bit more of Vinicius Junior next year as well. We didn't see that much. We saw him in flashes, came on and impressed in some games and didn't impress in other games but he is incredibly young and is an incredible talent so yeah I mean I'm, I'm hopeful for next year but it's I think there can't it can't be the way that we're talking about this season is that it has been really depressing and really boring and I don't think it has been that bad but in comparison to previous years it has been pretty poor uh, so you you'd think that it can't really get any worse than this <laughs> Yeah, and, and you you know some of those younger players who maybe haven't quite found their footing in in those bigger first teams yet. You know, Pedrinho and Pedro Henrique at, at Corinthians. Pedro Henrique obviously played a decent amount in that defense for Corinthians, but he's a young one to watch. Pedrinho is a is a talented attacking player for Corinthians. I know Santos have have a couple of very young players coming through um, who could. Uh, Yuri, I believe, is one of them who could find their way in that squad. Santos obviously always a great producer of young talent. And Palmeiras as well have been very successful recently at the youth levels. Uh, some pretty good under-20 teams with some talented players there. So I, I'm with you. I, th- I think we will see an increase in, in kind of those younger players getting getting roles and, and then impressing in them next year. And I do think this was just kind of an outlier of a year. Well, that is, that is kind of run on our time. Um, we'll give an opportunity here uh, for these guys to, to plug themselves as well as 
where you can find them on social media. Uh, Tim, I'll come to you first as we get set to close out this podcast. Anything that you'd like to plug? Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? Pleasure. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at Stilberto uh, with two L's um, because I'm an Arsenal fan, obviously. So that's uh, uh, homage to Gilberto Silva. Um, I, I, I write mainly about Arsenal, but I do write about South American football as well for a site called Samba Fuch where mainly I write about the Brazilian national team, uh, but occasionally kind of uh, dip into the Brazil Aral. So, um, and I often tweet about Atletico games in bad Portuguese. So if that's your kind of thing, um, yeah, you can find me there. Thanks for that, Tim. Uh, again, great pleasure having you on. You and where can the listeners find you on Twitter as, as well as if there's anything that you'd like to plug at the moment? Yes, yeah, so I tweet at you and Marshall which is Ewan spelt with an U, not with the W. And yeah, I'll, I'll tweet things about Brazilian football there and I'll post links to, to, to all of my work. And also I've been, for the last, well, for this year, I've been doing a lot of articles about kind of Brazilian culture uh, and Sao Paulo for uh, the travel site, the culture trip. So I'm doing quite a lot of stuff there and I usually link to those a lot of stuff about football as well. When I get the chance to talk about the Brazilian league, I'll always take that opportunity. So yeah, just follow me on Twitter and you'll see everything that I'm posting on there. Great. Thanks much. It was definitely a pleasure having you on. I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. As far as the World Football Index is concerned, plenty of pods for your listening pleasure. Uh, There was a South American football show that should come out here shortly recapping the draw from the World Cup. Uh, Be sure to follow us on social media as well as subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you like what we do, be sure to leave us a review um, to keep up with all that's going on on this on the world football index certainly should be a lot for you as we gear up for this world cup coming in june but listen our time has run on so thank you so much for listening uh, all that's left for me to say is thank you and goodbye <laughs> <laughs>